We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. A good rule of Bible study is that whenever you see the word therefore, whenever the word therefore is present, we know that it's there for a reason, right? And so we got to go back and we got to see what Paul had previously addressed. And for that, we can go back to chapter 3. Go back to chapter 3 and we'll look at verses 20 through 21. Paul uh, tells the church in, in, in Philippi some amazing things in these two verses. He tells them that God has secured their citizenship in heaven. Meaning that on, on their passport, the stamp for heaven was already on there. On our passport, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, we got that stamp. I haven't been to too many places. Cambodia, my passport has one place. My brother Alazar, his, he's got to get another passport because it's full of stamps. But I got one stamp that means so much, and that's that stamp that says that I get to go to heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. So he's saying to the church, God has secured their citizenship in heaven. He tells them God has promised that he's going to come back for you. God is so personal. You know, he can send an email, he can send a telegram, he can send an angel for us. But he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to come back for you. And in those two verses, he says that he's going to take our weak body, our sinful body, right? And then he tells us that he's going to replace it with new bodies. I think of the $6 million man. I don't know if some of you are old enough to know that. That's what I picture my body being like one day. And then lastly, he says that God is able to do all these things. And so here in verse 1, Paul exhorts the church to stand fast because of those things. The word stand fast means to stand firm, to secure, to preserve, to persist. It means to hold on. Let me give you an analogy that I heard recently of what it means to stand fast just picture you that you're walking up the mountain and you're hiking with your wife, your husband, your daughter, your son, and your loved one slips, okay? And they go off to the side and you grab them with your hand. As you grab them with your hand, you look over that mountain, that cliff, whatever it is, and you see that there's a 100-foot fall, okay? Now that grip is a matter of life or death, right? And so this is what Paul the Apostle is saying. You need to stand fast. Stand fast. Have that grip that's inseparable. Have that grip that nobody, nobody can take away. That's what Paul is saying here when he says to stand fast. We're to be joined, inseparable to Christ. I don't know if uh, any of you have ever uh, purchased a a used car before. How many of you have ever purchased a used car? Okay, quite a few of you. I bought a lot of used cars. I never could afford a new car. But every time I bought a new car, I always made it a practice to go and kick the tires. I don't know about you guys, you know. I always went to the car and for some reason, bah! But I always did that expecting something to go wrong. You know, I always did that thinking that, you know what, I'm going to hear something, the hubcap's going to fall off, something that would make me walk away from that deal. And I was thinking that sometimes as Christians we're tire kickers. You know, we're kicking tires all the time. In our walk, you know, we're walking, but we're, we're trying to find things that would help us to walk away from that deal. You know, we're, we're, we're finding faults with ourselves, we're finding faults with our neighbor, with friends, with the ministry, with the church, with the pastor, whatever it may be, we're trying to kick tires to find fault. And I think that Paul is saying not to be tire kickers, 
Stand fast, guys. Don't look for reasons. You know, you, you might find a, a, a something that, that suits you wrong and you'll walk away from the deal and, and that's not what, what we're to do as Christians. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Paul is saying, stand fast, hold on, and don't quit. Now he says this because he cares, right? He loved Christ and thus he loved the church in Philippi. Because look at the words that he uses to describe how he felt about them. Look at it in verse 1. It says, Beloved, long for brethren, joy, crown. He's saying, Church in Philippi, I love you, therefore I have to tell you, just keep following Jesus. Stand fast. Don't give up. The second thing that we see um, is the importance of being joined in one mind in Christ. Paul knew that the, the only way that the, the church in Philippi could have victory was to hold fast to Christ and another huge part of the victory is unity within the church. Look at verse 2. I implore Euduia, and I mispronounced that name big time, Euodia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now apparently there was some, some issue with these ladies. Um, they had some, some issues that they had to address between themselves. We don't know what that was, but what we do know is that Paul wanted them to deal with it, right? I like how one pastor uh, put it. He said, instead of, of taking sides or trying to solve their problem, Paul simply tells them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Paul knew that, that without unity, the church could not be the church, right? Uh, and even if it was only two people, even if it's only two people within this church, that there's discord or, or, or there's division, that could easily seep into the church. And so Paul knew the importance of having that Addressed. That's why he wrote in Philippians 2, verses 2 to 3, Fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And as a church, it's imperative that we be of one mind, and that be Christ's mind, right? Uh, it, it, it tells us, in Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul meant. Now, that's not saying that you know we're going to agree with everyone in the church. That's just not possible, right? Why? Because we're very, very different. Some of you are kind of weird, excuse me, saying that. We're different. We're different. Manny has always told us that it would be really, really boring if God has made, made us all the same. We have different personalities, different things that make us click, different passions. And so we're not always going to be in, in, in 100% agreement, even within our own personalities, but we need to put that aside and we need to put on the mind of Christ so that we can be on his side. Not our side, not his side, or their side, but Christ's side. Paul says, deal with it with Christ. Whatever the issue is, I want you to deal with it. But sometimes, sometimes we need a little help doing that, right? And so that takes us to the, the next topic, the next J that I want to throw at you, which is the weird one, jiving together as one body. The word jiving, it's a weird word, huh? I mean, where'd you come up with that word? It comes from the, the, the word jive, which actually is a word out of, out of the jazz scene, jazz and music scene, okay? And I'm not sure if you like jazz, but when all the musicians are jiving in jazz, what does that mean? It means that they're in harmony. And as a body of Christ, as the church, we need to be in harmony, right? As his body, the arms need to be open, the hands need to be reaching, the feet need to be stepping. We need to be as one. We need to minister to each other. Because look what it says in verse 3. And I, 
and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, we're not really sure whom Paul is addressing here. Okay, We don't know what, what, who the true companion is. Some people think maybe it was Epaphroditus. Uh, more than likely, it was someone who was close to Paul. He says, my true companion, and someone who was involved in leadership. But I think it's important to know that it doesn't always have to be someone in leadership. We are the, the body of Christ, right? Just like God made our body to heal itself, he also wants the church to be practically involved in healing any issues that takes place within the body. It was so cool last night. You know, last night we had uh, a get-together with the guys, and we, we spent about an hour and 40 minutes in prayer, and it just went like that. But there was some heavy, heavy things that some people um, said in prayer. You know, and for guys, that's a little bit different, right? Because we tend to have that wall. But I don't know if it was maybe the Spirit of God opening up, but there was some things that there's some guys that were going through that were heavy, heavy. And last night it was so cool that even after everybody was gone and I was leaving, it was past 930, there was, there was, there was a brother there ministering to that, that brother that was going through that. I think that's what it's talking about here. It's that we're to be that ch- the church that's in harmony, that's ministering to each other, that's reaching out. It doesn't always have to be the leadership. The leadership. It doesn't always have to be Pastor Manny or, or the elders of the church. It could be you. It should be you. Right? Remember what it says in, in Matthew where Jesus says, if, if a brother sins against you, what are we to do? We're to go to that brother and sock him. No, I'm just kidding. We're to go to that brother and address the situation with him, right? And if that doesn't work, what are we to do? We're to take a brother with us. And it's only until that doesn't work that we're to go to the church and ask for help. And so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I want you to address things. I want you to minister. I want you to be practically involved with each other. But in order to do this, guys, we have to recognize that we're a family, that we're a fellowship. It's been said that reconciliation often requires a third party. But if there's no one there to minister to others, then how do we do this? And so it's important that we be in fellowship. And that's one of the things that I want to talk about, be in fellowship in this church. Membership, guys, doesn't mean anything. That's why in this church, that's why you find in Calvary chapels, they don't, they're not like most typical churches where there's a membership role or there's a call or there's a, a list that you sign up. It's fellowship because that's really what matters, right? If you look up the word membership in the Bible, you'll be there for a while because you won't find it because it's not there. But if you look up the word fellowship, it's there over 15 times in the Bible. There's a reason for that. It's a reason that we need to fellowship. So when the message and the worship is over, it doesn't mean that the church is over. Slow down. Slow your road. Don't be jolting out of here after the service. Stay, talk, get to know one or two people. That's how we're practically ministering to each other. That's how Paul was able to reach out to whoever this individual was and said, help these sisters in the Lord. Help them. Help them to reconcile. Help them to take care of the issue that they have between the two. You know, we, we encourage you to join the jet team, right? But we're not. That doesn't mean to jet out of here after the service is over. We want you to be in fellowship. Because we're not in active fellowship. If we're not in active fellowship, how can we minister to each other? How can we be jiving, if you want to 
make me happy, and we'll just go with that word as a church. How do we do that? How can we have one mind in Christ if we're not together? And so it's important that we fellowship this baptism that we're going to have. It's baptism. You might say, well, I was already baptized. But it's an opportunity for us to fellowship. That's why we're doing baptism slash a potluck, because we know that if we bring food, you guys will come out. But it's a really, really good time. I know it was last year to get to know each other. You know, sometimes within you know the the, the exchange of services, you got things to do, you got places to go, you got to pick up your kids, in and out calling, whatever the, the case might be, and we don't get to fellowship as much. So we got to look for those opportunities to fellowship, guys. When we have the men's fellowship, come out. Don't isolate yourself. Come out to these things. It's important that as men we grow. It's important like that brother who was ministering to that brother. Maybe the Lord wants to use you to minister to a brother. But if you're not here, how does he do that? And so fellowship, fellowship is a key. Paul says help these women. Help them. They're, they're, they're Christian people that he's dealing with, right? These, he says they, they did some awesome work. I can, I can vouch for them. Help them. They're Christians. They need your help. And so that's why he was reaching out. But how do we do this, Paul? How do we walk this talk in, in light of the trials of life? Well, then Paul gives us some, some pr- practical ways to accomplish this. The first one is to joyfully walk this walk. I don't know if any of you have read the, the, the book of Philippians, but if you have, you'll know that the theme of the book is joy. Right? Over 15 times, Paul mentions the word joy or a word that represents joy. And so we're to have joy. We're to have joy. He says throughout the letter, he starts, he continues, and he closes on the central issue, joy, rejoicing. In Philippians 1.4, always in prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. Philippians 1.18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Philippians 1.25, And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of the faith. Philippians 2.2, Philippians 2.16-18, Philippians 2.28, Philippians 3.1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Philippians 3, 3, 4, we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. You see the pattern? Philippians 4, 1, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. That's the verse that we read. And then here in verse 4, rejoice always. Thomas Aquinas once said, No one can live without delight, and that is why a man deprived of spiritual joy goes over to carnal pleasure. We need to have that spiritual joy. And that quote really hits the nail on the head, right? Because as humans, we need joy. That's what we were made. We, need, we were made to fellowship with each other. We were made to fellowship with God. And if we don't have that, we're going to turn to the flesh. That's what the Bible says in Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now let me remind you, some of you already know this, from an earthly perspective, Paul would have been the last one to be joyful, right? Why? Because he was in prison. He was busted. I mean, I guarantee you, you read 99% of the letters from jail, and they do not have a joyful tone. Yet Paul the Apostle had that joy. It's incredible. I like what a pastor out of Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, Joe Foch, you ever get an opportunity to hear him teach? He's an excellent teacher. He said that Robert Downey Jr. wasn't the original Iron Man. Paul the Apostle 
was the original Iron Man, and he always will be. And I don't think that this was some kind of blab it and grab it technique that Paul was using, to be honest with you. I don't think he was in jail, sitting in the, in the jail cell saying, if I just think about joy, if I just say that I'm going to have joy, I'll have it. I don't think so. I think that Paul the Apostle already had it. It didn't matter to him where he was at. It didn't matter in what part of his life he was at, what he was missing, what he, what he had, what he didn't have. He had that joy in him. Happiness is dependent on circumstance. I'm sure you've heard of this, right? But joy is something that there is there regardless of our circumstance. But it has to come from the Lord. We have to delight ourselves in Him, and then He will then give us the desires of our heart. He'll give us His joy. Paul had found his purpose in life, right? He truly had tasted how good God's forgiveness was. He was born again, and that joy was a natural response to that forgiveness, to that love. But some would say, but you don't understand, Henry. It's hard. I'm going through this. I'm going through that. I got this trial on top of another trial. I understand. I have them too. I know that it's not easy. But I think it's important to notice that Paul isn't saying we should be joyful when things are going our way. We should you know, be joyful when there's food on the table. We should be joyful when we have that, that job that we were seeking. We should be joyful you know, when our health is where we want it to be. We should be joyful when our family situation is where we want it to be. No, he says rejoice and rejoice always, right? There's a little boy in Cambodia named Diamond. I'm not sure if we have a picture of him. Maybe we could show it. His name um, fits him perfect because he's a diamond in the rough. As you can see by his pictures, this, this little boy has a, a rare disease that one day will take his life. In fact, if the Lord doesn't intervene soon, he might be close to going home even now. Pray for him if you get an opportunity. Yet if you were by this little boy, or even by seeing his pictures, you see the joy that I'm talking about. Sometimes we go through things that are so much smaller than that. I know that I do. And I have a pity party. And yet this little kid has joy. That's not to say that he's happy about his circumstances. That's not to say that he's, that he's inviting the pain. But he has joy in spite and in light of his circumstances. I can learn a lot from Diamond. And I think many of us can also. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then to add emphasis, he repeats himself, right? He says, again, I say, rejoice. So in order to have victory on these practical matters that Paul is addressing here with the church in Philippi, with the church today, with us, we need to have the commitment to just keep following Jesus, which is standing fast, right? We need to join our minds in Christ, which is putting on Jesus, having that same mind. We need to be jiving together as one body that's being active in fellowship, that's ministering to each other, that's reaching out to each other. And we need to be joyful. We need to, we need to have his joy and we need to be just or just like Jesus, which is the next J. Because look what it says in verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Paul used an interesting ancient Greek word here that it's tra- translated gentleness here. 
In other translations of the Bible, it's translated as patience, as softness, as the patient mind, as modesty, as forbearance, as the forbearing spirit. And I got to admit, that's a tough one for me. It's a tough one for me. Why? Because, you know, many of us have been hurt. We've, we've been hurt or perhaps we're scared and because of the circumstances that life has given us, we develop spiritual calluses. We don't know how to be gentle. It, it, it's odd for us to be gentle. We don't want to show that we're, we're vulnerable, right? We think that, that we're weak if we show that we're nice or that we're gentle, especially us as guys. I mean, we, we, we look at that as a weakness, And yet, it's telling us here, let your gentleness be known to all men. Why do you think that that, that we're afraid to do that? That shouldn't be the case, right? Remember, the Lord was meek, but he wasn't meek. Galatians 5.23 says, Gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. In 1 Timothy 6.11, Paul had a conversation with Timothy says, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. One Christian author who was addressing this matter wrote, both gentleness and meekness are born of power, not weakness. There is a pseudo-gentleness that is uh, effeminate, and there is a pseudo-weakness or meekness that is cowardly. But a Christian is to be gentle and meek because those are God-like virtues. We should never be afraid, therefore, that the gentleness of the Spirit means weakness of character. It takes strength, God's strength, to be truly gentle. Like what um, Warren Worsby said, he says, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. And when you think of Jesus Christ, isn't that the truth? I mean, he could have called a legion of angels to take care of business, right? But yet he didn't. So he wasn't weak. He was just meek. He kept that power under control. Why? For us. For us, for me. And so remember that. I like that. I like the fact that Paul challenges the church. He challenges them to be gentle with all men, not just within the body. It's easy here to be gentle, right? It's really, really easy because you guys are all cool. You like me. You know, I like you. But once we get out there in the real world and someone cuts us off, someone says something, man, that goes out the window. Right? And yet Paul says be gentle, not just within the body, but with all men. I like that. And even though it's hard for me, I want to live like that. Why? Because notice it says the Lord is at hand. What that means is that the return of the Lord was as far as your hand was to your body. That's the way they said it. That was the gesture. The Lord is at hand. They would raise their hand. It meant that the Lord was as close as your hand to your body. Do we believe that the Lord is at hand today? The other day I was at a Bible study, and in the middle of giving the study, this man starts laughing out loud at some quote that I said. And you know what? It would have been fine, except that it wasn't funny, you know? So he just starts laughing, and he was doing it to mock me, right? And don't tell Manny this, but I wanted to give him a piece of my mind so, so bad. But it wouldn't have been right in the Lord. It wouldn't have been me showing gentleness. And so I refrained. Very, very difficult to do, especially for a man. But I refrained, because I knew, I knew that it wouldn't be right. 
in the Lord's eyes. I wouldn't be showing gentleness in the sight of all men. And don't get me wrong, I fail all the time at showing gentleness, but I want to show gentleness. We need to show gentleness because that's what Christ did, right? He showed gentleness. And because it's a sign that we are becoming more prepared for the return of the Lord. Now, quickly can mean suddenly. It can mean soon. It could also mean both things. And the way the world is going, I believe that here it means both more than ever. I mean, you're hearing of fires. I don't know if you've heard, but apparently we've crossed that red line or Syria has crossed that red line where we're now saying something's going to happen. And so, man, you just see things happening on a daily basis. So when we say the return of the Lord is at hand, it is more closer than we could ever imagine. We need to be prepared for the return of the Lord. Well, how do we do this? How do we stand fast, stand together, be the church, live joyfully, have gentleness? We pray. We pray because look what verse 6 says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is one of those verses that every Christian should commit to memory. I like what David Gusick said. He says, being anxious for nothing was a command, not an option. Undue care, which basically means excessive worrying, is actually an intrusion into God's arena. That's the father's job, not the child. I mean, if you have, I have a two-year-old son. It would be weird if he was worried about the bills, right? That's my job. If he was coming and say, hey, Dad, I don't know how we're going to do this, but, you know, we're going we're gonna to be short next month. He would be intruding into my responsibility. And so, therefore, David Gusick says, when we overly worry, we're intruding into God's space, into God's responsibility. We're not to be overly worried. That's the Father's job. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Notice that there is nothing outside of prayer, right? I mean, little things, big things, we should be praying. There's nothing outside of God's care. He cares for all of us. And therefore, we should not be anxious for nothing, but with everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we're to give it to God. Now, prayer, prayer is talking to God. Prayer and supplication kind of can mean the same thing. But prayer more is related to having a a conversation, being in in, in communion with the Lord. And supplication is actually saying, Lord, I need you to step in. I need you to do something here. Please, Lord, take care of this. Paul says, don't worry. Instead, pray and ask God for the solution. Paul said, Philippian church, if you do these things, if in fact you aren't anxious for nothing, but instead you trust God in prayer and with a heart of thanksgiving, which is so important. Then verse 7 will be given to you. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? I like what Pastor Manny has been saying for a while now, that God gives us a perfect peace, not a peace, a peace. And I really like that because if you look up what the word peace means, it means whole. When you have the peace of God, it means that you actually are whole now. The peace of God, peace with God. So remember that God doesn't give you a piece of peace. He gives you perfect peace. He gives you the whole peace. 
and where it says there that the peace of God surpasses all understanding, that doesn't mean that people aren't going to be able to understand this peace or that whatever the trial or circumstances that you're facing will automatically go away. It may. But I think what it means is that people won't be able to understand the peace. I think of our sister Maria, and I don't mean to put her on the spot, but when she was diagnosed with cancer and she came up here and we prayed for her, she had a peace. She had that peace that surpasses all understanding. Why? Because she knew that she was in God's hands. Because she knew that he's in control, that his ways are higher than our ways. That's the peace that Paul the Apostle is talking about. Some of you are going through some major issues. Some of you have some wayward kids. Some of you can't find employment. And yet, because of the love of the Lord, you have that peace inside of you. This is what it's talking about here. It's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It's incredible that if we go to the Lord, he gives us his peace. First Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. It's this peace, that came, that the peace that comes from having a relationship with God through prayer and trust that will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus and only through him. Not Mary, not the saints, not the church. Only through Jesus Christ. Everything else is just a temporary band-aid that we put on our problems, right? if we don't have the peace of God. The word peace here is the word irene. Means of a, it means of Christianity, the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. In short, it's Romans 8.28 peace, right? Romans 8.28, you guys know this verse, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. That's the peace that Paul is talking about here. That's the peace that we get when we have a, a relationship with our Lord and Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not the peace you get from religion. That's not the peace that you get here that you, when you attend. It's the peace that you get only when you're born again, only when you have a born again experience with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In verse 8, Paul gives us more practical things to do in order to have victory in this walk, right? Because the reality is garbage in, garbage out. So verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I don't know how many of you know about yoga, Maybe some of you guys have even exercised using yoga. I haven't used yoga in a while. <laughs> but I think the whole point of yoga is to clear your mind, if, if I understand it correctly. Right? They, they, they want you to have this, this place where you're at where you can just clear your thoughts and all you hear is your breathing. But this is a very different type of meditation that Paul is suggesting that we do as Christians, huh? It's not clearing our mind. Notice he doesn't say clear your mind. He says focus on that which is good. That which is Christ. Focus on true, which is correct, loving the truth. Who's the true? Jesus Christ, right? Focus on nobility, which means goodness, honesty. Focus on things that are just, which means fair, righteous. 
Focus on things that are pure, which mean clean, chaste, without fault. Focus on things that are lovely, which means acceptable or pleasing. Paul says anything that is of a good report, which means things sounding well, anything that is of virtue, meaning things that are excellent, anything that is praiseworthy, commendable, focus, meditate, think, ponder, concentrate on these things. I love that. I love that, that, that Paul is so practical with us. I'm a practical kind of guy. I need directions. My wife tells me where the pepper's at. She says it's in the third, you know, in the cupboard on the third aisle behind this, and I still get lost, and I still don't find it, and it's right there. I'm, I'm, I'm very practical, and I like the fact that Paul points us to these things. He says, focus on these things. And I really love verse 9. Our last verse, because it says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. There we see peace again. Notice that he says, That which you've learned and received. What does that mean? That means he taught it, right? The things that, that, that you learn and you receive from me, from others that have taught you, that, those things do. But he also says, The things that you heard and saw which I love even more, because that means that he lived it. Paul the Apostle lived this life. He wasn't just a, a talker. He was a walker. Like Manny says, he wasn't just a walkie-talkie. He was a talkie-talkie, right? Paul was the real deal. In order to be a good leader, like Paul was, one first has to be a good follower. And Paul was a good follower of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In communicating with Timothy, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4.12, But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Paul was and is a good example to every believer. Why? Because he lived everything that he taught. I love that about Paul the Apostle. I love that about all the people that, that, that we see within the Bible. So in closing... We need to apply these things to ourselves now, right? I mean, we, we read it, we heard it. Now how do these things apply to us? How are we doing in these areas? Are we standing fast in our relationship with him or are we hanging by a thread? Are, are we tire kickers? Just kind of looking around the church waiting to find something that we don't like so that we have an excuse to bail? Or are we committed? How about with each other? Do, do, do we want it our way? Or do we join in seeking the mind of Christ? Even that means that we're wrong. Or how about as the body of Christ? Are, are we in harmony? Are we jiving together? Do you see people ministering at corners, praying with each other? That's, I think, a sign of a healthy church calling each other, fellowshipping with each other, being out in the parking lot till 10 o'clock because a brother needs you, because a brother needs ministering to. How are we doing? How are you doing in that area? How about in the joyful department? How are you doing there? That's a hard one for me because I have pity parties all the time. Lord, why does it have to be like this? Why, why, why? But then you look at a little boy like Diamond. But then you think about the people in Cambodia or the people here that you see in the streets and you realize, God, you have blessed me beyond belief. Thank you. We're to have joy. We're to be joyful. Not sometimes, 
Always, right? How about in that department that we got to be just like Jesus, right? Are we showing gentleness? Are we meditating on good things or bad things? Are we walking the walk or we're just talking the talk? Hopefully, if you come away with anything from this, this study, you'll come away with questions, questions that you put on yourself. How am I doing in this department? I mean, Christians, we know that you cannot do any of these things without the Spirit of God giving us strength, giving us His joy. We need the Lord, right? Like you Christians, you know what I'm talking about. And if there's any non-Christians here, you can never have any of these things, the joy, the gentleness, the peace that surpasses all understanding, apart from a relationship from Christ, with Christ. There's just no other way. You can't have it. So we need to seek the Lord for strength. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in fellowship. We need to be in His Word for Christians. We need to be active. We need to be jiving. We need to be of one mind. This is some really good, practical, I think, advice that Paul the Apostle gives us here. He gives the church in Philippi. And if you're not a Christian, know that you have to give your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ in order to experience what Paul is talking about here. Amen? Maybe if Chrissy will come up and we'll do one more worship song and we'll close in prayer. Let's all stand. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.